This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 33 of Horsemanship Radio, brought to you by Index Fund Advisors, IFA.com. Horsemanship Radio is a part of the family of the Horse Radio Network. And we have today two wonderful people from very different parts of the world. We have Alan T. Hill, who's a member of the Backcountry Horsemen of America. And we have a lovely lady, Katie Cunningham, from Guatemala. But she's an expat from England. This is Debbie Lauks. And you're listening to the Horsemanship Radio. Thank you for joining us. Horsemanship Radio airs on the 15th and the 30th of the month. And I have my producer, Glenn, with me today. It was Jen last time. How you doing, Glenn? Good. How are you, Debbie? Good, good. Jen and I were having some fun last time. We were talking about your pony and her work with your pony. Getting a little frustrated sometimes. Is that true? Yes. Uh, well, you know, we got him. He was a rescue about 18 months ago. And I, 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 we just taped him, actually, the other day because we hadn't checked his weight a, since we got him. When we got him, he weighed in about 275. And he's a hackney pony, about, uh, about 13 hands. And he weighed in about 275. And, and we checked him the other day. He weighs 550 now. We almost doubled, he doubled his weight. That's um, awesome. So, you know, he was a starving neglect case when we got him, and we've been training him and doing things. But, he, you know, he is a hackney pony. <laughs> so, <laughs> so he has First. a little bit of an attitude. Actually, I've had other hackneys that have been worse attitude-wise. Um, this one, you know, I would say he's, he's, he's pretty good for a hackney. But she likes to take him out when I can't drive him all the time because I'm working. She goes out for a ride with her quarter horse, and she ponies the pony. She just takes him along on a lead. And, you know, he has a habit of, you know, wandering and, you know, trying to bite her horse and, you know, yeah. acting up and pulling her arm out and things like that. He's a pony, you know. So, yeah. So a- she, she was talking to you about the dually halter, which tell, right. tell us why the dually would help in a situation like that. Are you trying to figure out how we're going to get a hold of this hack? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, I'm just well, trying to save my wife's shoulder, actually. Yeah, you know? exactly. Yeah. It helps the relationship, too. Uh, yeah. So yeah, the dually halter is a, it's it's a really simple uh, concept, but it was really handed over to my dad, Monty Roberts, about oh, be well over fifty years ago. Oh gosh, it's well over probably sixty years ago now because he was just a kid, and there was an old man back then, probably younger than Dad is now. But he uh, showed Dad how to do something that we now call a come along, and it's really just taking a, a length of rope and. And twisting around the head, maybe when you're catching, you know, a wild horse out there and you have nothing more, you don't have the ability to put a halter on. The the idea is that it comes loose and tight, loose and tight, loose and tight as the horse pulls or relaxes. And it it's a pressure and, and release, pressure and release. And an instant, not not something that they you have to un you know, release or release attention or adjust or anything. It's instant. And that's Back in the 90s when he wrote his book and everybody was interested suddenly in natural horsemanship and this was actually a little bit before uh, The Horse Whisperer came out. But in the horse world, they were already exploring that. And it's a really difficult um, thing to teach how to use the come along. So what he did was create and patent a system of putting a ring on a rolled cotton uh, rope that's uh, really it's just adapting a nylon, nice flat nylon 
um, halter to use with a pressure and release system. It makes it easy for anybody to use. And you've got rings on both sides so you can lunge line with it. Um, The nice thing is the horse schools himself. You really just walk along. Like if she's going to, if Jen's going to pony along and that hackney starts to pull back a little bit, she can just wait right there and he'll feel that pressure. And it's kind of like a twist in your sock. You know, it's uncomfortable. It's not pressure like pain. That, That would be actually the opposite direction that you went ahead in. You don't want to cause a fight. So you want to cause something that says, oh, that's uncomfortable. But when I step forward, ah, it gets immediately loose. So it falls into that category of picnic, positive instant consequences and negative instant consequences. And with horses, you know, there's about a three second window of instant. Right, Because right. <laughs> they won't know why you schooled them five minutes later. So you need that instant reward and that instant consequence if they pull or even push, you know, if they're bargy too, it works for that too. So does that make some sense about that pressure and release? Yes, it does. And I think that's going to be perfect for him. Because, uh, you know, it, it, he's he's not a bad pony. It's not like we're trying to mm. you cure something that's really bad. He's just a curious pony. Yeah. Um, you know, so it's I think it's going to be perfect. I can't wait to get it. Uh, we, we actually, you did say, you were kind enough to send us out, uh, and they come in colors based on size. Right. And you sent us out a red one, but uh, which is small, but that's still too big. <laughs> so, he needs the extra yeah. small. Yeah. Sure, the pony size. So we'll send, yeah, we'll send out a green one. And with that red one, let's, uh, let's do something fun. What do you usually do? You do like a yeah. Um, let's, uh, let's, let's let's somebody do, win it. Yeah, we'll do a giveaway next uh, next episode. We'll figure out mm-hmm. something and we'll do a giveaway on it for next episode. Okay. And we'll ship it okay. out to one of our listeners okay. to give it a try. Good, good. We'll get somebody using it. And that red is um, it's a yearling, small Arab head kind of size. So um, somebody it, it would fit a large it's... pony, like. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, ours is 13 hands. It would fit a 14-hand pony really well. There you go. And they're very you adjustable. Go. You know, they are very adjustable. That's right. So. That's right. We we put a lot of holes on them because we figure you're going to use them on different – that's a training halter. So you use it on as many horses as will fit in it. And we put um, a ton of holes in three different places on the thing. So you can really uh, use it on a pretty broad amount of horses thing too. I'm, I'm being a halter commercial now, but, but they're so unique and they're so tried and true years and years and years of people using them. So I, you know, most people kind of are aware of them now. So somebody will get one. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll let you know how it works. Mm-hmm. Okay. And you know, yeah. the other thing too, is, uh, we, we very seldom mention this, but, uh, on, on moneyrobbers.com, you guys do have a shop and sell the halters and the, the buckles and, you know, sculptors oh, and yeah. all different kinds of things on there. I, we do. Uh, we we have, uh, but all educational. We don't get into the rock star kitschy right. stuff. You know, it, it really is all with purpose because we have to send it all over the world. And, we're, you know, you don't want to get into huge amount. I know another thing I'm going to send you, though. Um, I just thought of it. We have a 17-foot line, which we, it took us kind of years to develop what the perfect length for a pony and for training on the on the trailer, you know, loading, you want some more line in your hand in order for them to be fractious, you know, for them to act up. And and ponying especially, you know, you're going to get some little bit of acting up sometimes or separation. And so we make a 12 and a 17 foot, and then we sell the long lines in pairs of 30. That's, you know, for obviously for a, mm-hmm. like a 50 foot um, diameter round pin or wherever you can work in the arena. But, um, the 17 foot is perfect for you guys to do that. And so we'll send that along with your green halter too. Okay. 
And I want to know who designed your shop online, too. If, 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 if you haven't gone to MontyRoberts.com and gone to the shop part yet, you have to do that because it, it looks like a store. It looks like an old-fashioned general store, yeah. and you actually <laughs> highlight and pick the section of the store. You're looking at a store, mm-hmm. at a graphic of a store, and you pick that section of the store you want, and it takes you into that section. It is so cool. It looks like you're <laughs> shopping at an actual store. Thank you. It's, it's, it's designed after Dad's little log cabin. He has like an author's cabin, and so it's supposed to look like a you know like an old Western shop. Like it that. does. Yeah. It, it's really good. Whoever did it did a great job. Oh, thank you. That's really cool. nice. Yeah, good. Okay, well, we've got some great people today, and I'm excited to um, have you hear them and introduce to them too, because we've got um, a real. Um, an old country, backcountry horseman in Allen T. Hill. Um, I think you're just going to love him. And then Katie is um, a, a lifelong horsewoman who's got a real heart for helping people in Guatemala uh, treat their horses a little bit better than, than they know right now. Very good. And we're going to get to the first guest right after this word from our title sponsor, IFA.com. Hi, I'm Mark Hebner, president of Index Fund Advisors and proud owner of Monty Roberts Willing Partners graduate, He's a Sugar Bear. (laughs) You know, investment portfolios are a lot like horses. You need to find one that best suits you, your temperament and your stage of life. Some people might like an energetic horse and an aggressive investment portfolio, while others are more comfortable with a gentle ride and a more conservative investment portfolio. The trick is to find the one that's right for you. That's what Index Fund Advisors is all about, matching people with portfolios, risk-appropriate, low-cost, and globally diversified investment portfolios. You can find the right portfolio for you by taking the Risk Capacity Survey at IFA.com, that's IFA as an index fund advisors, or you can call us toll free at 888-643-3133. That's 888-643-3133. Alan T. Hill has been a member of Backcountry Horsemen of America, the Shasta Trinity Unit, serving as many positions as they've ever, I think, invented there, including as an organizing member of the board of of the director of Shasta Trinity, and he's been president and delegate and chairman. And his education is in civil engineering, which helps when you're up there in the backcountry. And he has been a volunteer in many community projects as well. And he's married and has nine grandchildren. Welcome, Alan Hill. Thanks, Alan, for agreeing to join us. How are you today? I'm fine, thank you. I think you're hailing from way, way north in California today, am I right? Uh, we are, I'm, I live in Redding, California, 100 miles south of the Oregon line at the upper end of the Sacramento Valley, right? We're surrounded by mountains on three sides. To the north of us is 14,000 foot Mount Shasta. Mm-hmm. And the coast range is nine to 10,000 on the west side. And of course, the northern end of the Sierras is on the east side uh, with nine, 10,000 foot peaks. So we're right on the upper end of the bowl here. Boy, you are in beautiful country. You know, I, I knew when I'd have you describe that a little bit, that all those people who just 
get out there and get on horses and get into the mountains, or all those that have always dreamed of doing it, are just drooling right now, Alan. <laughs> they love that area. It's just beautiful, and I hope everybody gets to see it sometime in their lifetime. How many hours do you think you've you've spent in the saddle in your lifetime, Alan? Oh, I don't know. I, I can't. <laughs> I've spent a lot. I've been around stock basically all my life. I'm not... Uh, I'm an engineer by profession, uh, but I spend a lot of time, I'm semi-retired at this point. I spend a lot of time in the mountains. Uh, I have spent a lot of time with stock all my life, mm -hmm. so I couldn't begin to tell you the number. It's a big number. It's a big number. That's Yeah, that's my point, that you've been on the trail a lot in your life, and you're dedicated to keeping those trails open. And that's what I, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about today, because you've been really important in an organization called Backcountry Horsemen of America. And if anybody has not seen that site that's listening to this, they should go on that website, BCHA Back countryhorse.com of America and see the beautiful country that you are working so hard to keep open. And um, how, did, how did you get involved? How did you first get involved with BCHA? I became involved uh, with the uh, formation of the Backcountry Horsemen of California. Uh, we started developing chapters in each of the areas of the state. Mm -hmm. Our unit, the Shasta Trinity unit, was one of the early ones in the state that was organized. Mm -hmm. I'll go back to the start of the Backcountry Horsemen of America. It, it started in uh, Montana, and then uh, there was an affiliate in Idaho, and they, they still called themselves the Backcountry Horsemen of America. Then the state of Washington formed under the Backcountry Horsemen of Washington, at the same, about the same time, the Backcountry Horsemen of California formed. Okay. So that was 40 years ago. We just had our 40th anniversary. 40. Wow. And uh, the organization has grown now to where it's coast to coast, mm -hmm. uh, connected with the states. I think Kansas was the one that plugged the gap between the uh, Atlantic and Pacific. And although we started out in the West, mm -hmm. And the west of the Mississippi was a was a lot of public lands, a lot of public land issues, a lot of access issues, lots of mm -hmm. lots and lots of trails, the BLM land, Park Service land, and and uh, the Forest Service national parks and national forests were our original focus. However, since we have expanded to the east, we've learned more about the east, mm -hmm. the private lands that exist there. And so we are uh, known as uh, as the trail volunteer trail organization, probably one of the of uh, the greatest contributors of volunteers across the country today. Mm -hmm. We're very proud of that. We have a fairly small membership of fourteen thousand people, scattered scattered across twenty seven states. There you go. But yeah. our volume dollar volume of work each year that we contribute is in the neighborhood of 14 to 15 million dollars ever growing goodness sakes. and it's growing rapidly but it still doesn't represent uh an accurate number of our contribution contributed hours we're uh we're not the best bookkeepers in the world and to try to keep a time sheet 
or a diary of all the things we do is beyond what we really do most of the time. Yeah. So, yeah, just to put it in perspective, the fact that BCHA has been around for 40 years, I think if I did my homework correctly, the Wilderness Act is only 50 years old before they recognize that, you know, we should start preserving some of this land to ride on. Isn't that right? That's correct. Yeah. That's correct. We did attend the 50th Wilderness Celebration in Washington in September, which was a, which was a wonderful event that celebrated the the years and years of uh, political activity and legislation that culminated in the Wilderness Act. So mm-hmm. it was a it was a uh, part of the motivation of our founders was to perpetuate a way that these trails and public lands and wilderness could be sustained and open and kept open for the recreating public into the future. Right. So, and I and I hear that the statement made a lot that people want to see the wilderness as it was in the beginning. You know that they want to see it pristine. And why is it important to keep those trails open? Well, most of the wilderness areas are very large. Large. We have, for example, in our backyard, a million acres of wilderness. A million. On one wow. side of the valley. Oh. That uh, <laughs> has miles and miles of trails that have not been funded adequately mm-hmm. over the years and without sustaining the maintenance program, we no longer have access of any kind to, to the wilderness areas or lots of public area, areas of public land. So mm-hmm. it's critical that we're talking two things. We're talking about enjoyment of the wilderness, which we all support. The pristine wilderness is just a wonderful place. Mm-hmm. But if we don't have access to it, by trailhead roads and maintain trails, we essentially have cut off the access to, except to a, for a few hardy hikers who can hike cross-country in, in very rough terrain. Can't make as much distance as on the back of a horse either, can you? No, you can't. And, and the difficulty is further compounded by the logistical efforts to required to maintain the trail system is is substantial. And if you can think of a million acres of land, wilderness, uh, in the miles and miles of trail, and one of the one of the wilderness areas is five hundred and fifty miles of trails, backcountry oh. trails and very street steep, very rough terrain. And the only way tools and supplies and uh, support for fires can be man- managed in that country is with the use a lot of use of a lot of stock. Mm-hmm. I was going to ask you that. So to clear the trails, how do you pack modern equipment in? Is it is it on mules and horses? It is. Ah. Do, do you still bind up those mules? Like when I go packing in Sun Valley, Idaho, uh, the food and all the equipment is brought in on a team of six to eight mules, depending on how much wine we bring, truth be known. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, we do the same thing. <laughs> do <laughs> <laughs> but uh, those guys that, are huge. That is, um, actually, the, the number of uh, stock required to support uh, some of the backcountry camps is, is amazing. Uh, we support the California Conservation Corps backcountry crews, and each crew is uh, 18 to 19 members, including the supervisor. Okay. They move in 
we take them in in May, and they stay in the wilderness until September when they come out. So the logistics support is, requires somewhere between 20 and 25 mules to move a camp in and move camp out. Wow. You move four, five, six times a year. Each camp can be six to 15 miles from a trailhead. Mm-hmm. So every camp move, uh, just pack mules alone, requires 20 to 25 in addition to the packers and the other saddle animals that we have. Each week, the resupply for those crews is anywhere from 8 to 12 mules. So uh, when you consider each mule can carry 150 pounds, that's, a, that's tons and tons of material that's required to support the, the work programs in the backcountry for just one crew. That, that doesn't include much of the volunteer work that we do on other sites nor does it include a lot of administrative use, nor does it include the, the demands for fires when uh, smoke requires limits or eliminates uh, air access. The mules are the only source of support for the, for the fire crews. Oh, right, right. That's true. So uh, do you use exclusively mules then, am I hearing that, or, or are you on horses as well? No, we use, there's horses and mules. Both are yeah. used. Yeah, the mules so, are used primarily. They're, they're the most, uh, they're the best pack animals there are, and in rough country, they're a lot safer and more sure-footed, in our opinion, than than horses are. So it, it's a matter of personal prejudice. In different parts of the country have different uh, opinions, as mm-hmm. as you can imagine. But mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. both horses and mules provide a Provide a, do a lot of packing for throughout the country, in in particularly in wilderness areas. That there's no other way to way to either ma- maintain or uh, clear trails. How do you train? You know, I'm picturing those big pack mules, and then they're side by side the trails that we go on. So they're in tandem, and then they're tied together as well. So they're a long train. How do you train those horses to get around those trees? I'm always amazed that they've got these huge packs on and they seem to swing those tails around just in the right moment and, and they don't catch the trees. And how do you do that? Well, it, it, we don't use them in tandem. We use them in, in, in a single line. They're all so, yeah. tied yeah. head to tail, head to tail. And uh, the way you train them, everybody has their thoughts on that. It's kind of interesting. A lot of the old-timers... Uh, course did the use the easy way out and that was to when they got a colt that was partially broke and they could put a pack saddle on it mm-hmm. and then they would uh, tie some boxes on and turn them loose in a corral and let them bang into fences for a while for oh i see yeah so. makes sense. yeah and you know the smart ones learned real fast yeah <laughs> they learned to get out of the way and then when they're on a trail uh, you'll watch, and they'll run into a tree, and you holler at them, and they know they've done something wrong. And the smart ones will hit a tree once or twice, and three times, and particularly if they have a wide load. Mm-hmm. And they'll think, well, you know, this is not fun. And then you'll watch them, and uh, they recognize that you know that the wide, the wider loads require them to move away from a tree, and it, it is fascinating to watch them teach themselves how to how to survive on those, uh, on those tight mm-hmm. trails. 
Yeah, yeah, they are amazing, and they're very smart. You're right. It seems like the most natural thing that horses are on trails, and it, it, it's always amazing to me that we're having to fight to kind of keep trails open. But um, if, if you were king and you could dictate how young horses were trained, would you add trail experience to every horse's uh, repertoire? Oh, absolutely. You, you can't. It's not fair to people, either people who own the horses or the horses themselves, to take them on some backcountry trails when they haven't had the experience prior to prior to the time they're exposed to those conditions. I mean, they're, animals uh, are smart, but they need to they need to have some experience, yeah. and it. Uh, it's not fair to them for people to come to a trailhead, unload a you know a horse or a mule out of a trailer, out of a truck, and waltz on up the trail. First thing they might do is they might run into a yellow jacket nest and get stung. Ooh, and, yeah. <laughs> well, I think my point is that uh, people don't think that because they have a horse that's a perfectly behaved horse in a corral that he shouldn't do just fine, or he or in the mountains or on on trails. Mm-hmm. Lots of things can happen on trails, and it, it's, a, it, it, it's important that people have a good experience with their stock as well as themselves when they're visiting some of that country, and, and a way to not have fun is to have experiences that you're not prepared for or not, or not right. knowledgeable. So we do every, every spring, and most of our chapters have uh, pack clinics or clinics for people to attend who are not familiar with what they may be uh, looking at and make every attempt to make sure that we have experienced people with uh, with inexperienced people to start with. Mm-hmm. That's what I was going to ask you about, too. Those are good points. I, I, I love excitement on the trail, but I don't like unplanned excitement. <laughs> that's, oh, that's, not that's sort of my it bottom will, line. On <laughs> but it will what, happen. <laughs> yeah, it does happen. What does a, what's a typical volunteer look like these days? How, how are you guys doing for recruiting? Like, well, do they have their own have, horse or, you know, do they come with their own equipment or do you help them? No, you know, we have people who don't own horses and they <laughs> support us in, in a lot of ways. Some of the, some of the uh, projects we have doesn't require uh, riding a horse. We have, we have uh, a lot of people, and I guess this uh, is an important point to make, our, our demographics are changing rapidly. Forty or 50 years ago, uh, there were a lot more people who were raised on small piece of property on a ranch where they had animals. Today's demographics require people to live uh, in a different environment and in, under different circumstances. And uh, livestock ownership is an expensive proposition. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we have people who love the mountains and love to go to the wilderness, they think, but they may not know really what how to prepare for that, whether mm-hmm. it's the food to take in, whether it's a, the experience they are seeking on a horse or they're seeking solitude. So it's a, it's a, it's a continual effort to educate and try to ensure that the, uh, you know, everybody can have this, develop the same level of enjoyment of uh, riding, whether it's in in an urban environment or in the mountains, but recognize that all of those experiences that people can look forward to mm-hmm. are 
not similar, and they are, and they do change. It's uh, it, it's important to not have our new people or who, who are our new members think that just because they have uh, a love for horses, mm-hmm. that they'll have a love for horses and and experience horses at the level that they they may not want if they get in trouble or if they are, are uh, fearful of of conditions in the mountains or even in the front country. So I think it's, I think we have seen a lot of our people come and join the organization dedicated as volunteers. And if they don't have a horse or don't own a horse or don't, uh, or aren't familiar with them, we'll help them. We'll help them get that familiarity. And if they aren't familiar with it and have an interest in, volunteering on projects that we have that don't require sitting on a horse or using a horse, then that's fine too. That's great. That's great. That is great to hear. I can't think of another outlet that I've ever heard somebody say that for. We'll, we'll train you up. And I mean, if there's an, if there's uh, anyone listening that wanted to help, what do they do? Do they go to the website? How do they contact you? Yes. That website we have is a great website. We've just put together okay. within the last year. And if you go on the website it will show, uh, I think, something about who, how to join or, or about BCHA. Okay. You can pull up that website website and see the location of every single chapter in the backcountry horse of America uh, with an address and, in some cases, with phone numbers. So if you live in Alabama and want to know if there's any chapters in Alabama, uh, it will show on the website. That's awesome. It'll be with current information that may need to be updated a little bit, but if there's a if there's a, a glitch in the location and someone would want to call our BCHA executive office, uh, that number's on the phone, and be happy to happy to uh, talk to somebody. But for many years, that that problem was 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 uh, an issue because people would have heard about the Backcountry Horseman organization like what they heard, wanted to participate in an organization, yet they couldn't find out mm-hmm. where the teachers were or it's where no longer an excuse. Yeah, we've got you've got a Facebook page now. I'm looking at the website. You can become a member of it. So yeah, it's uh it's up to date as 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 much as the internet is anyway. It looks really good. And and I you know I just think it's so important that um we keep this privilege. It is a privilege, I think, to be out on the on the wilds, there's over 500 million acres of wilderness in, in this U.S., and you've got, I think, half of it in your backyard. No, I'm kidding. But that's a lot that you've got in your backyard. But it is a privilege to be there, but I think that comes with the responsibility uh, to take care of those trails, and you guys are a great organization to help people do that, not only dedicated to keeping them open, but dedicated to building a group of people that will assure that our children have access as well. And that is important. That's what a lot of our people feel is that they feel like what efforts they make today will perpetuate that opportunity for their, our kids and our grandkids. And without that, uh, the trends were, and certainly the trends in budgeting, are in the opposite direction. There are a larger number of people uh, recreating in, uh, in our nation's wild public lands. And the number of dollars going to maintain that at the federally funded level are dropping. So, you know, it's, it's a perfect storm. There's not, there's not the uh, priorities given by most of the federal agencies to uh, 
address that question of lack of maintenance. And we were, as part of our advocacy efforts, we are uh, working hard at the national and state and local level to make sure that uh, our voice is heard. We may not be as effective as what we think, but we spend a lot of time and a lot of money uh, trying to bring those issues to the attention of the uh, of all members of Congress. That uh, these are these are valuable assets that our country has. It's, there's been an infrastructure built over the years that should be maintained. It's like a road, road or railroad uh, infrastructure. It needs it needs to be there in the first place, and it needs to be continually maintained, or it won't be there. Well, thank you, Alan. That's fascinating, and I and I um, I applaud you and all the volunteers before and after you that are doing such good work. Um, I know I feel privileged to be on those trails that you're out there uh, clearing up and and creating, and uh, whether it be mules or horses, um, I'll be looking for you guys out there, and and hopefully we'll get a few people to help us too. Well, we would appreciate all the help we can get. We, uh, we, uh, that's our, that's our charge and that's our responsibility we've taken seriously and all the help we can get at any time, any place is much appreciated. Thank you. Thank you. Alan Hill of Backcountry Horsemen of America. Hi, I'm Monty Roberts and I know that I'm transforming the lives of horses globally. You can learn to do it too on my Equus Online University. There's a new lesson on there each week, all the way from join up to advanced. Watch world's champions give their lessons. Join at MontyRoberts.com. Go to my Equus Online University. You can transform your horse, too. Debbie and I would like to welcome Omega Fields to the Horsemanship Radio Show. We all hear about Omega-3 and how important it is for your horse's nutrition. But why is it important? Well, simply put, horses were created to get all of their nutrition from live, natural grasses. Omega-3 is an essential fat found in many types of live grasses that are critical to the horse's health. If they were living on most live grasses 24-7, they would be receiving enough omega-3. But in today's world, most horses are fed commercial feed and forage as their primary nutrition, and most of these are lacking sufficient omega-3. All of Omega Field's flax-based products provide a balanced essential profile of omega-3, 6, and 9, and may be helpful in alleviating problems like skin and coat problems, hoof problems, joint issues, and sand colic. That's right. One of Omega Field's terrific products is Omega Horseshine. Omega Horseshine is an omega-3 stabilized ground flax seed supplement for horses to help maintain a shiny, healthy coat, strong, solid hooves, and top performance for horses in all stages of life. Omega Fields provides the best human-grade, non-GMO ground flax that helps with horses with a dry, scaly, itchy skin, joint pain, and inflammation, poor hoof growth, allergies, and, and lots more. Don't just listen to Glenn and I, though. Alexandra uh, is one of their customers, and she, she sent us this quote. She said, any horse I ever own, I will feed with Omega Horse Shine, and I'll recommend it to anyone, especially since it's natural and not pumped with chemicals. And my Paso, I guess that's a Pasofino or a Peruvian Paso, who is prone to colic, has no problems with it. 
So get your Omega Horse Shine today at omegafields.com. And just for our listeners, uh, we've we've asked them to give us a promotion, uh, take a little bit off, and they get 15% off if you use the coupon code MONTY2015. So it's all together, M-O-N-T-Y, Two zero one five Monty two thousand fifteen. Again, it's Monty two thousand fifteen for fifteen percent off your next order at omegafields.com. We thank Omega Fields for being part of the Horsemanship Radio Show. And next up, who do we have? Well, we have Katie Cunningham, Catherine Cunningham, as she was born, but we all call her Katie. She is an amazing gal. She's improving equine welfare, and she's reducing violence towards horses and humans in rural Guatemala. Not exotic. And Katie is, uh, uh, not only is she uh, an expat living in, in Antigua, Guatemala with her husband, but she has two tiny children and horses that she keeps uh, herself too and, and shows and competes and, and she is a real horsewoman. But she's also studying to become a Monty Roberts certified instructor and she's she's worked years towards her certificate now. And her passion and, and now her cause is to help educate Guatemalans to keep healthy working horses um, for their livelihoods. That's how they make a living down there. They have tractors. They're called horses. And she travels to share her talents with horse owners in rural Guatemala. Her story is, is a, it's about a simple horse handling program, but it's transpired into something much more than that. Welcome, Katie Cunningham, to uh, Horsemanship Radio. How are you? you? I'm very well. Good. Nice to be here. I'm glad you're here with us, and you're in the middle of your advanced exams. I am. Which is pretty amazing. You're well along in the certification process. How's that going? It's going well. Um, I did my advanced course quite a while ago, so Mm. um, Mm. even though I've been practicing at home, this is it's quite exciting to be here. And I came up here to to see you all and 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 bring our research results to to show you. So I thought, well, we'll do both at the same time. So I was lucky enough to be accepted onto the exams. Yeah. Yes, very good. Yeah. And we're all wishing you luck on that Thanks. too. So yeah. did you get the right horses and everything? Um, no, I've had the most challenging. I think no. so far. Yeah. <laughs> They're picking on you. Huh? Right. Right. Yeah. So yeah. touch wood. Good. It's all okay. good. You're yeah. very talented. I don't worry about you at all. And we're really excited. And when you say came here, you came from Guatemala. Mala, yes, that's which right. Which is not yeah. just around the corner. That's yeah. a big trip. Yeah. And you have a couple of kids left at home I and a do. husband. And how's yes, everything going in Guatemala? It's going great. I mean, it's only a five-hour flight, but it's a world okay. way. It's a world <laughs> it's a way. It's a totally different yeah. world. But yeah. I live down there with my family. Um, yeah. I'm obviously from the UK, but I've been there for 16 years and uh, have a riding stables and have a very nice life. It's a beautiful place, Antigua, Guatemala, a colonial city and surrounded by volcanoes and it's beautiful weather. Yeah. It's great. But obviously it's a country full of many uh, problems from the developing world. Um, and so I've always had the mission to to help the country and do my best to help the horses and the people um, yeah. and have a nice life there as well, you know, so... Well, that's what makes you so amazing. You do have a beautiful life. You live yeah. in a beautiful area and place. Your husband is, is it second or third generation coffee plantation? That's growing? right, yeah. yeah. Um, yes, his his mother is Guatemalan, um, has been for generations. Mm-hmm. His father's from the Czech Republic, so uh, um, they're not your average Guatemalan family, but uh, predominantly coffee farmers. Coffee yeah. Farmers, mm-hmm. yeah. And you've chosen to get out of a comfort zone. You've got your own horses and your 
kids and and work with the horses up in the the high tops of the mountains there. And there are some right. pretty high tops to mountains there. there are. Working with the indigenous yeah. horsemen up yes. there and. That's a little bit out of a comfort zone for most of us. Yeah. Why did you choose to do that? I don't, I'm not entirely don't sure. <laughs> That's a pretty answer. I've always pushed myself out of my comfort zone. Mm-hmm. And I actually, when I, when I first got to Guatemala, I worked as a groom. And mm-hmm. I, I was very comfortable working in that environment. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I've always felt really close to the people who are the true people of Guatemala. And, and, I, and I've known people from all different levels of, of society in, in Guatemala, but I feel very strongly about Guatemala, that it's got so much to offer. It's a beautiful country, it really is. And mm. it's got so much soul and so much to offer. And I honestly think that developing countries have got a lot to show us in the first world as well about okay. community and family. And there, there are many things there. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of inequality in, in Guatemala, um, not only with uh, the people, but obviously with the animals as well. Mm-hmm. And being passionate about the horses um, sort of led me to this this program that we're developing to help the horses um, in the communities and their families and um, the people in their lives as well. Mm-hmm. So what, what kind of horses do they have there? I know it's a working equine mm-hmm. for the most part. Is, yeah. is, it, is there a breed that we're Well, looking? they call it criollo, criollo, they would say in mm-hmm. Spanish, criollo. Mm-hmm. Um, indigenous horse derived from the, the Spanish horses that they brought mm-hmm. over. So mm-hmm. it's sort of a mix. You've got a bit of court horse in there, a barb. Or, yeah. But really, they're, they're small and, and pony-like for, for the most part. Yeah. Um, yeah, we would recognize them as a very small quarter horse, right? Very small yeah. quarter horse, yeah. And this mm-hmm. is due to nutrition. This is due to yeah. the, the Spanish barb is pretty small. The Spanish right. horses that were brought over here by the conquistadors, I right. guess, right? Exactly, yeah. 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 yeah, they have poor nutrition, and they're also started at a very young age. That's right. And so they really don't have the chance to develop, um, yeah, into the... So the your sport. passion started off as helping with the horses, yeah, and it seems to have grown, though, into the families, too. I'm hearing you say we've got a lot to learn from them, too. Tell yeah. us a little bit about that. Well, I feel that a lot of people who work in the horse world um, adore horses, and they have a, a passion for horses and animals. Mm-hmm. But they have less of a passion for people, and I feel that if we can improve the lives, or in order to, to improve the lives of the horses, we need to be able to connect with the people as well and, and feel compassion and mm-hmm and love towards them as well. And in Guatemala, there are countless numbers of programs that work towards uh, helping the victims of violence, um, generally women and and children. Mm -hmm. Um, There aren't so many programs helping the perpetrators of violence and and, and generally the men. Mm -hmm. Um, And I feel that the men have a hard time because they're they're brought up and, and from from the age of you know very young they're encouraged to be uh, aggressive and violent mm-hmm. and it's that's what they learn yeah, and that's in their blood and, and machismo oh. right and mm-hmm. and there's there's a lot of pressure and they're expected to be the leaders and um, they live a life of fear and violence a lot of them. Um, and what I've found through the program that we've been doing is that it's a huge sense of relief to them that actually there isn't any need for them to be that violent person, that they can still be the leader and they can still be proud and the man of the house, mm-hmm. 
but they don't need to use violence. And I and I think that no one's ever shown them that that alternative before. That's the light actually. bulb that goes off, is that I they can so. still be in control. But because it, it is a very Latin America that I've seen is very male centric in all yeah. the horse industry, which is funny because in the U.S. Um, and even in Europe, you go, and it's a lot of women lot in of the women. industry that oh, yeah. taking care no, of no, horses. It's 90% men, or, yeah. or I mean, I'm not saying that official statistics, but... Um, what your experience has I'd been, it's Definitely, and right? I think that their alternative to being aggressive is being weak, and they don't want to be seen to be right. weak, and they can't be weak. I mean, they live a very hard life. Yeah. They need to be strong. There's been a lot of war going yeah. on in that country, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of problems. But the but the family's revenue, their their employment is based around horses a lot of times, right? We've got yeah, a lot of them depend upon the, the horse, mm-hmm. yeah, to, to carry their crops or mm-hmm. or to carry their firewood, which is a, which is a huge um, daily task because actually it's it's that's their heat, that's their heat, and yeah. that's their cooking and what have you. So yeah. their horses generally spend a lot of time carrying wood or carrying crops, or they're used as transport. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and occasionally for pleasure as well, but mostly, oh, good. yeah. Good. Well, yeah. pleasure in the sense of um, racing up and down and what oh. have you. I wouldn't say it's so much pleasure for the horse, but pleasure okay. for the people, <laughs> right, yeah. So when you go in there and you try to help them, what kind of horsemanship tips are you, are you giving? Mm-hmm. Are you teaching them just the basic nutritions and checking and bringing a vet with you, or are you actually trying to change the methods that they're using? Well, we've been working within the framework of a foundation down there called um, Equino Sanos para el Pueblo, which translates to Healthy Horses for the People. Okay. And that's a partner program of the Brook, which is a, a British equine welfare charity. Um, and they provide a, a program to, um, to help improve the physical equine welfare of the working equines. Okay. And they work all over the world. Um, but our idea was to bring in a program that would focus more on the, the horse handling and uh, natural horsemanship and um, improving the psychological welfare ah, of, the, of the horses. But we work within their framework and um, we approach the men basically offering a program to, to say, your horse might work more cooperatively and be a more willing partner um, through this program. And of course that interests them because therefore they'd be economically better off, right. etc. Right. So that would grasp the attention of the participants. But obviously um, they um, gain much more um, in the program than, than just having a more cooperative horse. Yeah. Yeah. Is it done men only so that they don't have this uh, feeling that they're being watched by a bunch of women? And, you know, I'm trying to picture, you know, give us a, a little, paint a little picture of what mm-hmm. it looks like when you're working with these people. Because mm-hmm. I imagine you're, it, people can't see you, but you're this tiny little beautiful lady. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in a machismo world down there, yeah. how do you tell the men anything? Yeah. Um, well, we work in a team. Mm-hmm. And I have my role, and then I have um, a lady alongside me, Leslie Pies, who's excellent. Yeah. She's sort of the bridge between me and the people, because there's a big cultural divide, and, sure. and there are often things that I just are out of my grasp. Mm. But we deal mostly with men, because mostly it's men who look after the horses. Right. And we bring them to our farm, which is in Antigua. Um, it's called Azotea, and we have a riding club in the farm called uh, La Ronda. And they learn um, the techniques of join-up with our horses. And so they go through that experience. And we also teach them about the nature of the horse, what it means to be a horse. Because actually they refer to the horse as la bestia, 
the beast They're closely. Beast. They, they really haven't got an idea of, of, of what kind of animal the horse is. Mm. Um, and so we teach them the difference between a predator and a flight animal mm. um, and actually what it means to be a horse and the whole concept. We focus a lot about um, the herd environment and what it means to be part of a herd. And, so, and then we make that comparison to our lives in the community Excellent. as well and how we could apply those um, rules of, in life or life skills to help us uh, live in a more cooperative environment mm -hmm. and uh and they they enjoy that a lot they and they, they really and they really understand it they really understand it um and they can see how it could apply to their lives but they invite you back and they they want you to you know is it an ongoing thing or is it yeah. one and done how do you no, I mean, it's what we've been doing is a few sessions um, in our stables and then we take a portable round pen up to the community and work with their horses there. So then we have, it, it's much more challenging because mm -hmm. you're dealing with horses that are not only mm -hmm. um, physically weak, a lot of them are physically weak, but a lot of them are shut down and depressed and mm -hmm. um, there aren't too many um, real behavior issues that you come across or as an aggression and strong characters because what tends to happen in the community is if they have a problem they sell the horse almost immediately oh mm-hmm yeah, and and friday morning is is market day and horses will be yeah it's this is something which is is um a terrible cycle horses get passed through so many different hands so this is one of the things that we're trying to um avoid and trying to teach them if they start their horse a little bit older and they take better care of them, then the horse is going to last longer physically and, uh, and be in a better psychological state to, to work for them more cooperatively. Yeah. So when you say that you, they don't have a lot of remedial issues, they don't have a lot of problems, why do they end up getting rid of them then? Are they just... Uh, because they don't know trained. how to fix the problem. They if there is a problem, they're done. So they'll see. try and fix the problem with um, force mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. um, and they use some pretty barbaric um, mm -hmm. methods. And one thing that we don't do is we don't judge and we don't criticize in the I program imagine, because it's yeah. the only thing they've ever known. Yeah. And like I said before, I think it's a relief to them when they see that there is another way to yeah. be. So, you know, we're just giving them the opportunity to see that there's another way. But um, traditionally, as soon as there's a problem, well, they try and correct that problem through force. Mm -hmm. And if that doesn't work, then they generally would sell the horse on. And um, so we try and help them to, to see that, that economically that can't be a good either, idea either, yeah. you know. Um, and so we're, we're trying to eradicate that problem and have people who've got more uh, willing partners for a, a longer okay. yeah, time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What, what's your short-term vision? I mean, like five years from now, are they still going to be using horses in the same way? Is it changing? Um, I, I a funny story I thought was when we were in Guatemala, we yeah. at your invitation... We went there, and we'd go to these mountaintops, and you'd see these amazing textiles on these women that just look, you know, like could have looked the same way 100 years ago. Yeah. And they're on a cell phone up there, yeah. <laughs> you know, because they, they, they passed that um, idea of getting telephone wires up in these mountains a long time ago and just went straight to cell, right? Yeah. Which is so interesting, I think. Well, there's all these opportunities out there. Um, are they going to just bypass horses quickly here now and start buying tractors? Or do you see that their ways of life not changing for a long time? What, what's your thought? No, the numbers are going down, definitely. Mm -hmm. um, I'm on the board, actually, of the, the program that I mentioned, Healthy Horses for the People. Mm -hmm. And so we were looking at numbers. I can't remember the numbers exactly, but mm -hmm. the numbers are going down for that very reason. There's more access, there are more roads, 
and so there are more vehicles and, and less horses. Okay. However, in a country like Guatemala, it's so mountainous yeah. that there are areas that, that will always have horses. Um, so the numbers aren't going down as dramatically as in other countries. Okay. Mm-hmm. So now what would you, this is interesting because what would you say to a person who's going, oh, that's so good, you know, get the horses out of their hands because they don't know what they're doing and it'd be better if they were just using machinery. Um, but that does sound like a change of a way of life, a cultural change. Yeah, yeah. I don't know, even know if that's good for horses. What do you? Well, I think I was mentioning this earlier mm-hmm. that um, I always say to the men, if if I was a horse, I'd rather be a working equine that's well taken care of um, than a than a sport horse um, uh, who 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 doesn't who maybe physically is in a better condition, but actually isn't happy um, in its daily life because um, there are cases of um, people have lovely relationships with their working horse, their Mm -hmm. working equine because there are donkeys and mules out there as well. Right. And and the horse is, uh, the equine is seen as, as a member of the family. And so that's what we're trying to encourage because that's, that's, like I said before, um, they've got a lot of things to teach us as well. And, and it's very humbling to visit sometimes these families who have um, a very nice family tradition and they take care of their animals and, and they live in a beautiful um, agricultural um, setting they and it's they work hard, but they've got very strong values. And sometimes I think, you know, who are we to, to exactly. come in and, and, and say we should change it? Actually, no, this is, yeah. this is a great model, but we'd like to see more of that and less of the abuse. So there is definitely light at the end of the tunnel. It's definitely achievable. Um, and what we've seen is that people are generally always looking for hope. And, and this program of Join Up, I think, is just a great opportunity for them to see that the alternative violence isn't weakness. The alternative to violence is assertive leadership, and it's strong, but it's non-coercive, and, and, and there's no need for the that's violence. Awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. It's, that's an awesome statement. And it's, it's wonderful what we're all learning from the horses, too. I don't know that we would even have conversations like this 50 or 100 years ago right. of what the horse is giving back to us and what we're recognizing in a cooperative herd and, you know, all the analogies yeah. that you can use with these people. Oh, they're endless. Endless? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. I think there are lessons there for everybody. And you're going to change generations now because I know that there are children involved a little bit yeah. peripherally in the program, which is great. Yeah, absolutely. That's yeah, great. yeah. So we need to set up like an evaluation system to go back okay. and see how people are doing. Okay. Um, but we did see in our program that um, it affects people... Um, who have experience with horses and people who have no experience with horses. Oh, that's great. And um, what our research is hoping to show is that we can reduce violence and abuse not only towards the horses but towards the people too. And that really led us on to think, you know, we're in a developing country which is full of organizations that strive to reduce violence and strive to improve gender equality and improve um, youth at risk and, and these various mm-hmm. programs, um, a lot of them haven't had the success that they've wanted to. And the, and the people that I've spoken to in these programs who hear about these more groundbreaking methods of reducing violence absolutely jump at it. They love the idea of it because there's only so much more you can do or the more they've been doing they they hold workshops and they discuss violence reduction and they have various different exercises and what have you but 
the experience that someone might feel going through the join-up experience with a horse and discovering for themselves. Mm. The whole concept about them discovering it for themselves yes. that they don't need to use violence is really key. And we refer to the embodied experience not feeding information to our participants but allowing them to feel it physically as in be in the round pen with a horse mm. be more present and, and more focused than maybe they've ever been in their life because mm -hmm. it's a very intense experience for, for people particularly if they're not used to big you know larger horses mm -hmm. and uh, and allow them to feel it and and then make the discovery themselves so yeah. this is why we're excited to 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 bring this program to violence reduction programs um, in the, in, particularly in the NGO field, in, in the field of non-profit um, non organizations. Yeah, right. Mm -hmm. right. So what you're saying, too, is that there's a lot of organizations that have been going down there for a long time. Yeah. And this is just way out of the box, and it's getting results pretty darn quickly. So right. what are you doing with the information that you're, that you're learning and quantifying? Well, this is why we're here mm. t today or in the next couple of weeks. Mm. My colleagues will be coming up from Guatemala and we're going to present the research results. I'm so excited yes, to hear. Yes, I'm excited <laughs> too, yeah. And, um, and then those uh, uh, research results will be published, hopefully, in the next few months. Mm. So Judith Gibbons, PhD, right. is our head researcher and we're very lucky that she's um, yeah. basically fac facilitated this research. Um, but our principal question, let me see if I can remember yeah, it correctly the mission statement yeah. is. <laughs> okay, can we improve physical and psychological equine welfare through um, a join-up program that aims to um, improve behavior and attitude towards violence? I might not have got that, mm, that's, that's but it's, it's pretty much though. That, yeah, right? no, that's excellent. Yeah. That's mm -hmm. excellent. So, so you're going to get into mm -hmm. real solid facts and figures and that's what Judith and you are presenting. Okay, yeah. So so this is something that we are here to, to discuss and yeah. propose different ideas. But Great. what I'd like to see is us um, proposing these uh, or presenting these research results at conferences um, on the international um, level and then present the idea to um, organizations that work in these in these fields, not only of equine welfare, but also of violence reduction, youth at risk, gender equality, uh, and non-aggressive uh, non leadership, because that's essentially what it's, what it's all about. Excellent. And if we can work within the framework of organizations that already are striving towards those goals, then you're halfway there already. Yeah. Excellent. And they are, they're yeah. out there. The Child Fund International, we know yeah. um, Melissa Lindros from, and, and you're working with um, some big ones too, Peace Corps. And oh, there's any names. number. I, we've brought a, an, a, an example, a few, few examples of organizations, but mm -hmm. I think because of Guatemala's history and because of its geography being so close to the states as well, mm -hmm. and particularly its political um, history, there's a lot of interest in, in Guatemala. So we have um, hundreds, actually, of organizations that work down there for one thing or the other. But um, I really don't know the number off the top of my head, but mm. I'd say that it's close to 100 organizations that work wow. towards um, violence reduction one way or the other. Mm -hmm. That's great. Yeah. That, I mean, it's great that you can now mobilize those. If this is a program that they could pick up and run with, and it's not, it's not rocket science. This is something yeah. that... Um, people who are really even non-horse people can actually grasp it pretty quickly, I think, yeah. too. So you could get a lot of help. What would you want somebody to do to help you if, if you had 
help? Are you looking for volunteers? Are you looking for more funding? What do you need? Well, at this stage, we have all the, the ideas that we obviously need to define okay. um, of how it's going to be done, but nothing will be done without the funding, obviously. Yeah, so that's one big um, topic that we have to discuss in the next few days is how we're going to raise the funds to get it off the ground. Okay. Um, and I would say if anyone wanted to get involved at this point, maybe to go through Join Up okay. and to contact the Join Up offices. And then um, in the next few months, we'll be setting something up um, okay. more, more official in, in Guatemala. But literally, in the next couple of weeks, we want to define a few things okay. to be able to um, make those formalities. Yeah, Excellent. Mm -hmm. The Guatemala Project. We'll have them earmarked for that. Great. That sounds great. Well, thank you, Katie, for joining us today and sharing your horsemanship and your passion thank more than you anything. So we look forward to hearing about this presentation and, yes. and the IRB and what you're going to do with it. And it, as soon as it's published, we're going to have you on again if you Great. come back. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, okay thank, thank you. you. <laughs>Monty Roberts has been using and talking about CoreGem for four years now. CoreGem is one of the leading suppliers of Brazilian killer bee propolis, both in liquid and cream. As horse owners, we want a topical product that provides superior results for girthage, saddle irritation, rain rot, and all fungal issues, even scratches and ringworm. CoreGem does it all. We also want a product that heals wounds fast and minimizes the appearance of scars. CoreGem does that. That too. And we wanted to regrow hair in affected area and reduce skin inflammation, and Corgem does that. Plus, it contains no steroids, antibiotics, or chloride. It is non-toxic. It's even safe when your horses lick it, and we know they will. Used and recommended by veterinarians, breeders, and trainers from all over. Get Corgem today at CorgemAnimals.com. That's C-O-R-I-G-E-M Animals.com. And use the coupon code HRN. 2015 that stands for horse radio network hrn 2015 and get 10% off your next order just because you're a listener to this show that's hrn 2015 at corage Our trainer's tip this day is uh, is on backing up for better ground manners. And we had Judy Limsky. She was the winner of the Picasso Award for Outstanding Sportsmanship in the ACTA competitions on her uh, American Paint, Picasso, whose name is now endowed forever on the Picasso Award. Welcome back. Judy Limsky. And her horse, Picasso. I, Picasso is probably not with you, but Judy, you have achieved so much. And we were so honored to have you on the show describing a little bit about that Picasso Award and the honor uh, sportsmanship that you provided uh, to all those active writers when you were out there. But we wanted to have you back to hear some of your inside secrets, tips, anything for all of us frustrated trail riders who... Uh, sometimes come upon that one obstacle, like that chicken in the mailbox or something, you know, that <laughs> you think, I just can't get it. So we want to hear from you, Judy, on, uh, on a tip that you have for us today on trail riding. Well, I have a simple training tip, and I think it will help everyone get their horse to listen and respond better. It's extremely simple. It's just back up. My tip would be to back your horse up often, mm -hmm. even when you're not in the saddle. I mean, I back Picasso up everywhere. I back them through gates, around cones and trees, anything I can find. 
I back them up before I ride, when I ride, and after I ride. I mean, I like to keep them thinking and not mm-hmm. anticipating. Oh, that's it. So, so it's a um, listening to you moment when you're yes. doing that backup. Okay. Yes. Is it a trust thing? Do you think there's trust involved in that too? I mean, that's listening to you, I know, but they can't see everything back there. It absolutely is trust, and that's going to help you when you come to any obstacle that's a co- competitive obstacle. You're going to, they're going to trust what you're asking them to do, and especially backing up. I mean, that's not a natural, yeah. you know, something you see them do every day out in the pasture. That's right. That's right. It's a fairly unnatural thing, actually. So, yeah. and a lot of disciplines don't, don't do much backing up, frankly. Um, wh- where, how did you get onto that? I just, the groundwork, I guess, and I could see that I could start, I started to do it at Liberty where he would back up when I'm asking him to just by my hands and my voice, and then now just by my hands. And so I just started adding that all the time. I mean, I back, almost every gate I go through, I back them up. Mm-hmm. I have them turn, I side pass them on the ground. It just, so, it just yeah, seems to help nice. everything that when I get in the saddle, it seems everything seems so much better. So we just had on the last episode, we had uh, my dad, Monty Roberts, um, talking about um, a horse that was having trouble going through the starting stalls, which is always a forward movement, right? Race horses go forward. They don't right. go backwards. And um, he talked about finally discovering that that was a trick to um, getting a horse not thinking about blasting through a narrow space. And he, he eventually got the thoroughbreds to back up just with their with cues from his body. I mean, in other words, untethered, uh, unclipped. He was in an open arena just backing through L's and everything. Do you think you can, or do you, work with Picasso even off the lead? Oh, I do off the lead. I even set up Cavalettis to set up logs in the arena, and I will have him back up and serpentine those logs at a backup. Excellent. And then I'll have him step over the log and then side pass each direction over the log at Liberty. Listen to you. That is awesome. At Liberty. I know. Sometimes I think maybe this accident I had in recovering from it, I've done so much more groundwork that he's just, Mm -hmm. he's, he's so much better now. He's calmer and... You know, I hope I can take that outside of the arena and back out onto the the trails again. I bet you can. I bet you can. <laughs> that is a great tip, and I and I think a lot of people will have not have thought of that, but it makes good. It's one of those uh, light bulb moments. You know, it makes right, good simple, sense when you yeah. say it out loud. Uh huh. And, and I don't advocate everybody having an accident. Let's live vicariously through duty for this one, <laughs> <laughs> and learn to do a little more, take a little more time on your groundwork. And I think that's a great tip, Judy. Thank you, Thank Judy you. Linsky, for uh, contributing another to Horsemanship Radio. What in the wide, wide world of sports is going on here? Where in the world is Monty Roberts? Monty is looking forward to meeting some new friends, two-legged and four-legged, in... Solvang, California, February 14th. Boy, as you hear this, get on that phone. There, There is a Valentine's Day version of the Night of Inspiration at Flag is Up Farms in Solvang, California. It's a Monty demonstration of join up and a barbecue and telling stories all night. It's really fun. And then February 21 and 22, we just added a Riding with Respect Horsemanship Clinic with Monty Roberts. Again, at Flag is Up Farms in Solvang, California. That's a Saturday and a Sunday. Bring your own horse or ride a willing partner's horse uh, that you can you can use there and auditors are also welcome so we got 
something for everybody there. March 14th, then he travels over to Arizona, and he's going to have a, a tour demonstration there. Then March 24, 26, 28, he will be in uh, all over England. So he's got three uh, tour dates there in England. And then he hops over to a little country called Hungary. And that's April 11 and 12 in Hungary for a special weekend clinic hosted by his certified instructors there. Wow. Busy, Monty, busy. And you can see Always. his entire schedule at MontyRoberts.com, or you can give them a call at the office at 805-688-6288. And for details about today's show, go to HorsemanshipRadio.com, where you can find links, photos, and more information about our guests. And we also love your feedback. You can follow us on Facebook, uh, Facebook.com slash MontyRoberts, or Twitter at Twitter.com slash MontyRoberts. And the easiest way to listen to the shows is the app. The Horse Radio Network app. You know that now, uh, just did the numbers, 60% of people now listen on their phones (gasps) through the app. So we're very happy with that. And we've doubled the number of countries listening now to 92. So uh, we have people in 92 different countries that listen to our shows. Just go to the iOS or Android app store and search for Horse Radio Network. You'll find the Horsemanship Radio Show right on there. Terrific. And many thanks to our sponsors. Be sure that you see all and visit all the other great shows on the Horse Radio Network at www.horseradionetwork.com. And until next time, have many happy horse hours. 